Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 329. Today's episode is all about the invisible burden of overthinking, its impact on self-worth, and how to honor your feelings. From an evolutionary, purely you know, genetic standpoint, what matters is our social status, right? Our social approval. It's very important for our genes that we be well-liked and, and respected by our tribe, by potential allies, by potential mates. And as a result, it made us constantly monitor ourselves for these virtues, these, these strengths uh, that other people will also approve of and that are pretty much universally approved of. Uh, when we're not seeing evidence of those strengths, and as a result could damage our social standing, our brains are wired to put us into a lower mood that makes us want to kind of withdraw and to be socially risk averse and not put ourselves out there in the same way. And it's kind of just a cruel byproduct of this, that it results in this really crippling mood that that makes so many people feel terrible, uh, that we know as depression. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're like, I thought this was what I wanted, but now that I have it, it's not making me as happy as I imagined. And then you have to go readjust your ideas about what actually makes you feel good versus what you assumed would bring you joy. Or maybe you haven't gotten to that step yet. In reality, most people don't. Because usually, by the time they realize their predictions were incorrect, so much investment, whether time, money, or effort, has already been poured in. Maybe you spent eight years in school to become a doctor, only to realize that the medical system does not align with your values. Maybe you've practiced law for a decade, but teaching now calls to you. Maybe you spent all this time and money becoming a therapist, only to realize that you'd rather be a coach so you can have more out-of-state clients and freedom. Maybe it's your relationship or your car or your habits that just don't feel aligned anymore. The funny thing is, our minds often cling to the familiar to avoid the work of change, even when we know that deep down things need to shift. And it's not until we finally summon the courage to make that change that we give ourselves permission to acknowledge what was really going on all along. This is a little game that I played with my alcohol consumption for years. I made all sorts of changes. I stopped partying, stopped getting tipsy. So it was easy for me to tell myself that giving up that last glass of wine was just too big of a sacrifice. 
Well, when I finally committed to going completely alcohol-free, I felt real tangible differences in my life. I was able to clearly see all the downsides that alcohol had been causing that I just couldn't get myself to admit before, like stealing my energy, lowering motivation and happiness, giving me this false sense of joy or connection with people, keeping me stuck in ways that I didn't even recognize. But ask me about all of those negatives while I was still a moderate drinker? Nope, my mind wouldn't go there. It was only after making the break that I allowed myself to really connect the dots looking backward. The mind likes to justify the familiar, even when there are good reasons for change staring us right in the face. I'll give you another example with someone I love. Sorry, cousin. (laughs) And Tesla owners? I know they're for some people, but they're not for everyone. My cousin got a Tesla. Sounds awesome, right? Well, I watched her experience unfold. We'd be out and we'd have to stop at a Tesla charging station for like 30 to 60 minutes. Sometimes there was a wait, so it could even be longer. And I'd ask, doesn't this kind of (laughs) suck? And she'd insist, no, 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 my Tesla is amazing. And then I'd be like, aren't you like bathing in EMFs all the time? And she'd brush it off saying, EMFs are everywhere anyways. Then out of the blue, she sold it and got a Lexus. And now she's suddenly way more open about the downsides, like the inconvenient charging and how Teslas can't coast. You literally have to keep your foot on the gas pedal, which is kind of (laughs) aggro. Well, she talked about how all of her friends were going to Lake Havasu, but she couldn't go because there just weren't enough charging stations en route. Nothing against Teslas. I know some people love them and they are a pretty glorious drive. And I suppose it's a totally different experience if you're highway commuting often, but she wasn't. The point is, there's often a glaring blind spot until after a big change has been made. Like I said, the mind loves to justify our current situations, even when all of these signs of misalignment are trying to get our attention in the moment. But major change requires courage and hindsight, and sometimes admitting that we might have been wrong. But want to know a secret that most people miss? A lot of this tension between expectations and reality could be avoided altogether if we took the time up front to deeply know ourselves. Most people skip doing the personal pre-work. Getting clear on your core values and your vision for life ahead of major decisions can usually highlight those misalignments early. For example, if you spend time clarifying what really matters most things like creativity, service, freedom, integrity, then you have this inner guidance system to consult. So then when you're faced with choices like career paths or big purchases, you can check on how well they match who you are and what fulfills you at a soul level. If you have a clear vision for the life experiences that you want, like frequent travel, flexible schedule, location independence, quality relationships, All of those things shape what options get your attention or what trade-offs feel all right versus deal-breaking. Self-knowledge lights the path that we want to walk. I'm always talking about this, using limitations as guideposts rather than a door shut. And you can do this by crafting your own limitations, your boundaries. Those steady us when our minds start making excuses or trying to justify choices that just feel familiar or don't exactly nurture our spirit. Because guess what? 
Most frustration and feelings of being stuck come from not knowing ourselves deeply enough in the first place. So the question is, how do we get this kind of clarity? Well, that's what we're talking about today. Our guest is Ryan Bush. He's a designer and a thinker focused on building better systems, better people, and a better future. He's a practical philosopher, founder of Designing the Mind, and author of the forthcoming book, Become Who You Are, a new theory of self-esteem, human greatness, and the opposite of depression. So three key things we will learn are the truth behind depression as an identity crisis, how your brain constantly judges your self-worth based on one-size-fits-all virtues that might not be right for you, and how to tap into the third dimension of lasting happiness that goes far beyond temporary pleasure and material gains. And now let's welcome Ryan Bush to the show. Thanks, Melissa. I'm happy to be here. So what motivated you to write this book, uh, exploring the topic of self-esteem and human greatness? Yeah, so it, it's uh, kind of a long story. I, um, you know, I've been studying these concepts for a very long time since I was uh, kind of in my adolescence and I got really into philosophy and psychology and mental health and all these things. And I, I wrote this first book, um, called Designing the Mind, kind of exploring what I called psychotecture, which is the process of kind of changing and designing your own mind and your own psychological habits, your thoughts, emotions, behaviors, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, this was all great. This this turned into an awesome, uh, you know, kind of platform that I've been able to work through over the last few years. But while I was writing that book, uh, I kind of gradually found myself in a mental health struggle of my own. I was, um, you know, struggling with my work and, and my, um, you know, the, the job that I had at the time, I had gone part-time while writing this book, um, and took a 60% pay cut and, uh, was only there two days a week. And it slowly got to where I was, uh, able to bring less and less of myself to that job. I was not, um, really bringing out the creative vision, the kind of things that I really uh, prided myself on. Uh, I was having, you know, personal challenges with other people on the team, right? I was, um, you know, I had, uh, you know, kind of a whole identity struggle that resulted from this shifting landscape of my uh, work and relationships and all this kind of thing. And yeah, so I, I found myself in this situation where I was uh, now personally confronting a lot of these mental issues that I had been puzzling over for years and trying to figure out. And, uh, you know, the end result of all this was that a lot of these findings that I had been studying, a lot of these different fields uh, gradually sort of clicked together in my understanding. And I felt like I had pieced together this sort of theory that explained, you know, what I had gone through over the last year and my sort of mental health struggle, but also uh, made sense of a lot of sort of mysteries of mental health and depression and self-esteem uh, that had been eluding me and and I think a lot of people for a long time. And so this book is essentially uh, me trying to lay out uh, first in a very common sense sort of intuitive way, but then getting deeper into the scientific weeds 
of why we experience these ranges of mental health, why we sometimes find ourselves uh, in a period of depression or with, uh, you know, fluctuating self-esteem, uh, what's actually going on here? And so I, I'm really uh, satisfied with the sort of synthesis that I've pieced together here. I love that. That's my favorite thing to do is take different ideas from different fields. And then it's like, wait, but if this applies over here, why hasn't anyone else thought of it? And so I know that you share that you believe our model of happiness is inadequate. So what is this theory that you've pieced together? Yeah, so the, the way I describe it in the book and kind of walk people through it gradually is if you imagine there's a, sort of a chessboard in front of you, right? Uh, you can sort of picture the X axis, the left and right, and this axis represents pleasure and pain. So moving to the right is more pleasure. Moving to the left is more pain. Um, and if you imagine the Y axis, this one represents loss and gain. So moving higher up or further away from you on this chessboard would be greater gain or greater improvements in your circumstances and moving closer to you further down. Uh, this is some kind of loss or negative circumstances. And so what I've argued is that uh, once we're adults, we basically all navigate our lives and our happiness uh, using this sort of chessboard as a map. We're all sort of asking ourselves either how can I experience more pleasure or very often as adults, how can I sacrifice pleasure in the short term in order to realize some long term gain, whether that's through uh, my career, my possessions, relationships, financial situation, whatever it is. Um, we sort of navigate uh, through this lens. And the problem with this is that often real life experience and a lot of data suggests this is not actually how happiness works. The things that we think are going to make us happier uh, rarely operate in the way that we expect. And we sort of continually don't learn our lesson from this. So, for example, um, lottery winners think that, that all their problems are going to be solved when they win the lottery uh, and they're going to be much happier. And the, the reality is, uh, on average, they end up about as happy as they were before. Uh, people who have some kind of catastrophic loss, like they lose their legs in an accident or something, they think this is uh, going to be a very, very negative long-term thing for my happiness. And actually, it ends up only affecting them negatively for a pretty short period of time on average. And then they're back to their previous levels of happiness. On the other hand, there are some situations where our happiness will go from being very high to being uh, very low or even depressed and, uh, and vice versa. So we know that our happiness levels can fluctuate, but they just don't fluctuate according to the things we expect them to in our lives. And so what I do to uh, sort of explain this phenomenon is I basically take this chessboard and extrude a third dimension of mountains and valleys. Uh, you can imagine kind of a topographical map on top of this chessboard. And I argue that it's really this third dimension that is pulling the strings of your happiness, right? It is not the pleasure or pain or loss or gain that you think is responsible for your happiness. It's something else entirely. And so um, the, the best way to capture what that is, I use the term initially, admirability. Um, and so what this means is that basically your brain is constantly evaluating you, your life, your behaviors, your actions, and it is looking for evidence of uh, these traits, these virtues, these values that we pretty much universally consider to be good. 
And and so when you give your brain evidence of those personal strengths, uh, when you demonstrate your own admirability, whether that's through courage or creativity or compassion, uh, you move up in this Z axis. When you put yourself in a position in your life where you're able to bring these strengths out every day, you climb higher and higher on this axis. And the times that you uh, find yourself with very little evidence of those strengths, when you're not seeing those virtues, those values that you pride yourself on in your own behavior, that's when you start moving down on this axis and getting you know, potentially in, a, in dangerously low areas. People who are depressed, for example, very often get trapped in a vicious cycle where they don't have the energy and the motivation to get out and do things. Uh, as a result, they end up staying home, maybe even staying in bed uh, and doing things that don't provide their own brains with evidence of how great they are, how how good they are at certain skills or how uh, well they align with certain values that we all appreciate, even if that's something like their sense of humor or their discipline through exercise. And so the idea is that even though we're constantly looking at this, uh, you know, two-dimensional landscape of pain and and pleasure and loss and gain, uh, what's actually happening behind the scenes is our happiness corresponds to how much of our unique personal virtues we're able to bring out into our lives. We're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between 
all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash MindLove. Just go to Indeed.com slash MindLove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MindLove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So I am going through this kind of deep dive. I'm I'm rerouting, similar to what I did when I first started my business, where I was just fed up and, and thought, okay, there's got to be a better way. Like, I've kind of dabbled in all these different business ideas, but how do I find the one that's going to be sustainable where I don't give up right away? And so I actually went through and did all the work of like really figuring out what my values were and what I was endlessly curious about and all of these things that helped me to understand myself better. And then I created something from that. And it was mind love has been the first thing that I created on my own. That's, I mean, I'm still so pumped up about it. I still, I never am dreading an interview. I get so excited for it because it's aligned with what I really want, like the constant learning, getting to talk to inspiring people, all of those things that I want in my life, I built into my business. And so I have that, but I'm ready to go to the next level. And so I've been going back to my values and my virtues and figuring out, okay, well, who am I now? Is it the same as before? Like what needs to shift? And it's so funny that you're saying this because I've been coming to the same conclusion. There has been so many things that I think have, that I think are the things that help me unwind. Maybe it's like watching my guilty pleasure show at the end of the day, I don't drink wine anymore, but that was one of those before (laughs) drinking, um, scrolling through social media. And this last week, my husband and my toddler were gone and I vowed to like not watch anything. Anything that I consumed is like high vibrational. So I watched one documentary and it was on Gaia about the power of the heart. And I've been just watching like marketing videos and inspirational things if I turn on anything and and meditating multiple times a day and going in my sauna blanket. Long story short, I have so much energy. <laughs> and I realized it was I was thinking I had like, okay, well yeah, I have a I have kids and I have a business and no wonder I'm tired. And it's like, no, all those little things that I thought were helping me unwind were actually depleting my energy further. And all of a sudden mm-hmm. my husband and my toddler are back and getting all this stuff done and and just maximizing every moment of time. And I'm not tired at the end of the day. Like I am, but it's like the healthy amount, like ready for bed, not like, oh right. my God, I can't believe I did that. And so I'm just so aligned with everything that you're saying because I think I'm tapping into this other thing, this, this, I'm not focusing on, on just those X and Y axes that axes that people are normally focused on. I'm, I'm like pulling from this wellspring of energy from what I view as like my higher self from like the limitless energy that is this universe. And so it just actually feels like this is another piece of it. Like, of, of course, Melissa, you're living into this energy and now you've magnetized this other interview. I was just journaling about this like yesterday, and now you're just affirming all of these conclusions that I've been coming to. 
Yes, that is fantastic. I mean, first that you that you went through that journey the first time around and, and asked the right questions that I think most people are not asking when they're deciding what's my next move. Most people are asking, I think, you know, what's the salary going to be like and where, where am I going to move? And and obviously you have to figure out the logistics. But first and foremost, I think when you make a transition in your life, you should be mapping out those values and virtues and saying, how can I get closer to this ideal self? How can I bring more of these strengths that I admire into my life? And it sounds like that's exactly what you're going through and asking now. And it's uh, super cool that that it's had you know such positive effects for you. I think the same thing uh, happened with me as I transitioned into kind of being full-time designing the mind. Uh, I very much like you, I feel I never get bored of what I'm doing at designing the mind. I'm constantly energized by it. I'm constantly also exhausted by it, like you're saying, but it feels good to be kind of depleted and feel like you reached your full capacity on any given day. And so a big part of what uh, what was behind that is, is, yeah, during that period where I kind of started slumping into a depression, I mean, I was cut off from a lot of those strengths that I had basically been demonstrating my whole life. I had gradually transitioned into a place where you know, in my work, I was doing these kind of monotonous engineered drafting things that didn't really get at my strengths. And in my writing, I had I had never shared a single piece of, of writing with the world yet. So I didn't really have any feedback on how I was doing. I didn't know if my book was going to, you know, be a total flop. And then uh, then there was a, a global pandemic. And so that cuts off a lot more domains for bringing out those strengths. And so it was a, a huge 180. When I published this book and started building this audience, uh, launched this platform called Mindform, where we have this community centered around psychotecture and virtue and all this good stuff, wisdom, um, is it, it just feels like I'm doing exactly what I should be. And uh, I'm I'm the the highest on the Z axis that I've been in my life. I'm I'm feeling the closest to what the ancient Greeks called eudaimonia or just kind of the really deep uh, sense of well-being that you get uh, based on your virtues, and so, uh, and these these ideas are are deeply rooted in philosophy, and I think in many ways supported by modern psychology, neuroscience, evolutionary psychology, and so I I kind of back all this up, but um, it, certainly in my personal experience, and it sounds like yours too, uh, it's very just anecdotally true as well. One of the things you say in your book is that most of us don't really know what meaning is and you mentioned a stat about how most people report feeling most fulfilled in college and i sat with that for a minute because there are times where college does come up as like the oh that time if only i would have known what i know now <laughs> i could go back and <laughs> probably have a an even better time i i partied away my college and and there was mm. a long time where i did kind of revere that time in my life and what I came to the conclusion of, though, is for me, it was there was a long time that I thought it was my most fulfilling time, but really it was just when I was the most carefree. And I spent that carefreeness doing <laughs> kind of downward spiraling. But there was something about having my single purpose was just already defined for me. I knew what I needed to do go to class, mm -hmm. do my homework, you know. And so then when I was living into the party days, I didn't have any guilt about what I should be doing. Part of me now wishes maybe I did have more of that, <laughs> right. but whatever. And so 
you also talk about virtue in a way that many of us may not be accustomed to. A lot of people look at virtue as being more about morality. So can you sort of define what this meaning is that people aren't quite grasping and, and how that comes back to virtue? Yeah. So, so I, uh, yeah, I talk about meaning as this kind of philosophical mystery meat. Like we all say like, oh, it's not just, you know, money or pleasure or whatever in life. It's all about meaning. But we often find that like every person has a different definition of meaning and we really don't know what meaning means. It's kind of this ambiguous term that just always sounds good, but what are we really saying? Um, and so my, my point on the college thing, actually, I, I think most people on average report their 50s being the most fulfilling period of their time. So what I say is just that college is often reported as a very good, if not the best period of someone's life, um, not not the happiest period of everyone's life or most people's life even. Um, but it it's notable for me that I didn't have a clear sense of purpose when I was in college. I didn't know what I wanted to do or how I wanted to contribute to the world. It wasn't what you would call meaningful, uh, but it was a very good time in my life. And I think a big part of that was because I had both, um, you know, school, which I liked and was able to bring out my strengths in, especially as I got further into my field. Uh, you know, I was in product design. And so I was able to bring out these strengths of like ingenuity and creativity and analysis uh, in a way I never had before. So that was really fun. And I also had a, a sense of community that is really hard to find after college. I had friends that I was kind of surrounded by. Um, and and those communities enable us to bring out interpersonal strengths. And that's why, you know, even if you were sort of partying away that time, um, you know, you very likely found you know, parties and your friends as an avenue to bring out interpersonal strengths, like your sense of humor or spontaneity or whatever it is. So to me, virtue is a much better metric than meaning of what's really important in life and what's actually going to make us happier. And if we found ourselves even in a place where we were doing really meaningful work and like we felt like we should be happy because we're we're making the world a better place or whatever. But if we're not really feeling like we're able to bring out a big part of what makes us unique and our, our unique virtues, I think we we wouldn't really be happy uh, or as happy as we feel like we should be, even if our life is, quote, meaningful. So I think, uh, you know, viewing meaning as kind of a red herring and instead looking at this virtue thing. Now, I know, um, as you're hinting at, that virtue kind of has this outdated connotation. It sounds like, uh, you know, moral purity and all this. And I think it's gotten distorted that way over the last few centuries. But originally, it it uh, had a much more sort of rich, colorful meaning. I say, um, you know, essentially, don't think of colorless mandates when you think of virtue. Think of the colors of exotic birds, because that's in many ways, you know, we're, we are, uh, our brains are essentially uh, containers for these uh, this plumage of virtues that we're able to bring out into our social landscape. And I think that's a big part of how these things got in our brains in the first place and why our moods would be regulated according to it. And so virtue really is anything that you pride yourself on, anything that you've always been good at and that people generally view as a good trait to have. So it, it includes morality, but it goes far beyond morality. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. 
being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says. (laughs) And it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small. And when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero-sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Yeah, I was reading about that thriving and greatness and I told you how I'm kind of I'm I'm right in the middle of going back to everything and and defining my values and and I was just writing out my vision statement and it's changing from what it was years ago and I think that's because I too went through a time after creating Mind Love where I was like vacillating between feeling deeply aligned and purposeful and then lost. It's like I'd get on a call and and end an interview and be like, yes, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Or I'd get a new five-star review on my podcast or I'd get an email from a listener and and I was just like, yes, this is exactly what I'm meant to do. And then I would like go into my living room and just feel, like I said, kind of aimless or like not really sure what to do with the in-between time, not really sure why I was tired or why I needed to like ramp myself up to go back. And to be totally fair, I was also like 
I've had two babies in that time period. I was refinding myself in motherhood. But <laughs> what I ended up coming to was that I was discovering all of like a new way to live that wasn't really the conventional route that people in my family took. And I, and I was really excited about that. But then there was this process of expansion and embodiment. And it was hard for me to fully step into that, like just watching some of these people that I admired. And it's like, but how do you have the energy for that? But really, like every moment is a moment of self-discipline. Like, what do you, <laughs> how is that even possible? And something recently, right. I think it was having kids and uh, now I have a toddler and a almost eight month old. And, and there are days where I end, I've ended the day and thought, how did I handle that? Like, I was just going like, oh, you need this, you need this, like moving from one thing to the <laughs> next and, and just exhausted. And also, I was building this self-belief, I have been building this self-belief that I am capable of so much more than I thought that I was before. And so this recent time with just the toddler and the husband being gone, being able to apply that to other areas of my life, I'm like, this is where it's at. This is what feels so good. All of those other things have just been depleting when I thought, like I said, I was resting. So I think so often we like find these things, these that we think is our virtue, our values, whatever, and, and we step into them, but we have to grow into them in a way like it's not just going to be this mm -hmm. automatic flipped switch of like okay well now i've learned this so let me be it it's this process of constant evolution and sometimes at least for me i feel like i have to go back and reevaluate like who am i now does mm -hmm. my perfect day look the same now as it did when i first started mind love not at all i didn't know what a perfect day with kids even was <laughs> you know what i mean and so um I'm curious for you, how did you begin to identify those virtues and do you go back to them to refine them? What is your process for that? Yeah, lots of good stuff there. So I, I think um, a lot of what you're getting at comes down to the title of the book, which is Become Who You Are. And what that has to do with uh, all this virtue stuff we're talking about is essentially that uh, you know you have ingrained within you. Uh, you know, etched into your genes, essentially a set of values, a set of um, evaluations that you make unconsciously. You're, you're constantly looking at people who are, uh, you know, you admire or whose behavior, you know, is, is you know, very disapprovable to you. And, and uh, in many ways, our life is a constant experiment to figure out how we can get closer to these. I mean, th these impulses are in many ways more us than we are because they, they provide a guide to where we can go to direct our life next. And when we do that, we become more ourselves, more aligned with those values that are built into us. But um, yeah, I often find that it does take a constant process of experimentation and uh, and and discovery and, and kind of an, a back and forth process of going back to the drawing board, uh, finding new ways to identify your virtues and, and strategies for bringing those out. And then trying things out in your life and learning from them. Uh, and it's a constant process. It never ends. And so I, I sometimes say it, you know, your, you could say your vision board, you could say, um, or your vision statement, your, uh, your virtues strategies, they need to be redone about every three years. Cause that's what I find when I look back. I mean, I started, 
you know, making these analyses when I was like 16 and I was like, I want to create like a strategy for my life and a plan. And um, every about every three years, they would start to feel outdated and I would have to go back to the drawing board. And so I think some of the the exercises that you can do to identify these are first uh, list out everyone that you can think of that you admire. And this should probably include people in your actual life, uh, historical figures that you've read about, and maybe even like fictional characters from shows uh, or books or whatever. And then write out specifically the traits that you admire about each of these people, because um, it can be tempting to idolize or demonize people as a whole. But um, there's there's pretty much no one who doesn't have a mix of virtues and vices. So be specific about what it is you admire about this person, even if it's vague, like the way they handle rejection or something. Um, and write these things out and, and create a comprehensive list to where you feel like it captures everything that you admire. And then start asking the question, how can I build these traits into my own life? What what kind of vessel would enable me to bring out these traits or strengthen these traits, exercise them, uh, and then use that as a strategy? You can also, um, there is a, a website, the, the VIA, Martin Seligman has developed an excellent uh, strengths test that you can take to identify kind of what your top five strengths are based on a system he developed uh, studying a bunch of different cultures and finding kind of these universal human strengths. And that can be really helpful to realize, you know, these are the five things that I'm really good at. These are the ones that need more work. Uh, and you can also do things like just ask, just send a text to your friends or your parents or your family, uh, whatever, and say, hey, what do you think I'm good at? Because this can actually often uh, really bring some surprising results and make you realize some things you didn't no, or what have I loved since I was a little kid? I mean, all of these different exercises, you piece them together, you can create a really robust system to kind of direct your next move in your life, how you want to, you know, live each day, basically. Uh, and it, it's a it's a much better guide than just going off of, you know, what uh, what society sort of tells you that someone in, in whatever group you're in uh, should be living their life. This is this is the compass that you should be navigating with. Those were the techniques that I used when I was first starting my business and asking other people what they saw in me, what my superpower was, first of all, was really difficult for me. Uh, I had taken a course that challenged me to do that and I mm. skipped over it because I was just, I, I like, couldn't be that vulnerable and I felt silly. And then it was like a year later that I was doing a different course and it brought up the same thing. And I was like, you know what? I got to send it. Like, I can't be <laughs> playing small here. Like, I'm just going to do it. And I blamed the course. I was like, I'm taking this course. It's challenging me to do this. And so then I just didn't feel like it was on me as much and it made it a lot easier. But the insight that I got from people, almost everybody wrote something in almost the exact same words about how I was good at taking information from multiple areas and bringing it together, kind of how you said you did with this book, mm -hmm. and explaining it in a way that people could understand. And I never saw that in myself. I Then after I mm -hmm. saw it in myself, it was glaringly obvious. <laughs> I was like, yes, this is what I'm always doing. But this time I did a different approach to this values and virtues exercise. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah. So I found a coach that I was working with actually 
gave me this new way to do it. And I, at first I was like, this sounds like a weird way to, to, to get started. But by the end of it, it was so eye-opening. What he had me do was actually write out all of the things that I despise <laughs> in other people. Like, mm, And I was like, yeah. and so at first I was turned off from this. I was like, I don't want to do that. That seems like I'm just like basting in the, in the negative. But he said the things that like really bring out a visceral reaction, like you can't help but like speak up or or like cringe or whatever it is. And so by the end of it, you should have a list of your worst person. And so I was writing out things like people who know that all of the decisions they're making are bad for them, but they don't take any action. They like to ignore things like it was and then distill them down to one word. So it was a lot of like complacency and um unintentional then once you have this whole list write the opposite of all of these things and then group together all of the like things so i ended up coming up with my values of freedom which it always is intention growth and expression and this feels so right for who i am now but it was just such an interesting way to come at it because i thought i was like this is the opposite of what i want to do i don't want to sit here and think about all the people that i'm secretly cringing at you know what i mean right right yeah no i think it's funny someone else basically uh brought up the same uh, in another podcast i was on brought up the same thing like uh you know list out the things you hate too list out the things that you despise and I think that's a, an equally effective, I mean, you probably should do both, but like, yeah, that that's another angle to look at it through that could be really useful. I also um, think it's really cool that that's like one of your top strengths of like synthesis and bringing together different things, because uh, that's, that's always been a big one for me too. That's one of my biggest strengths. You know, I'm never going to be like the, the leading expert in a single field but I will find eight different fields and bring together things that no one has before. And that's, it's basically what I do in my books. That's what I love doing. So that's cool that that's your strength too. Speaking of bringing together concepts for, and thinking about them in different ways, part of your book goes into really the evolution of why we have self-oriented thinking, why we value we think we value the things that we do before we really get intentional about it. And you talk about socio sociometer theory. Am I saying that right? I say uh, sociometer, but I think sociometer? it works. <laughs> okay, gotcha. <laughs> it argues that um, our self-esteem emerged in the human mind to monitor our success in regard to certain goals, but that self-oriented thinking really dominates our mind. Can you give us a brief overview of all that? Yeah, so so sociometer theory was developed by Mark Leary, a psychologist uh, who who thinks a lot about evolutionary science, and he basically argued that uh, the most intuitive explanation for why self-esteem came about, why self you know rumination and all these thoughts we have about ourselves constantly, uh, why that's a feature of our mind, why we observe that, and uh, what he found to be most intuitive, and I generally agree, is that self-esteem is like the fuel gauge in a car, uh, whereas social esteem is the fuel tank, right? So really what matters is the, the gas in the tank, um, but we need this sort of internal indicator to let us know how much fuel is in the tank. And so similarly, from an evolutionary, purely you know genetic standpoint, 
what matters is our social status, our social esteem, right? Our social approval. It's very important for our genes that that we be well liked and and respected by our tribe, by potential allies, by potential mates, and as a result, it made us constantly monitor ourselves for these virtues, these these strengths uh, that other people will also approve of, and that are pretty much universally approved of. And so evolution gradually shaped this mechanism in our brains that have us constantly evaluating ourselves so that we can adjust our behavior based on what uh, what people around us are likely to admire uh, and respect. And so that's uh, that's not too bad in and of itself. That seems like a good thing for us to have. Uh, but the thing is, the way that that uh, evolution gets us to take certain behaviors that are good for our genes is it puts us in a certain mood that makes us want to uh, take those behaviors. And so when we highly approve of ourselves, when we are seeing the evidence of those virtues, and hence it would be likely that other people are going to approve of us, then evolution puts us in a mood, or rather you know, built our brains to put us in a mood uh, that makes us want to get out there and do things. It gives us energy. It makes us want to go and, and show off and exercise those strengths that make us great, because that's a good social strategy. On the other hand, uh, when we're not seeing evidence of those strengths, when we're finding that we're taking actions that are not highly approvable and as a result could damage our social standing, uh, our brains are wired to put us into a lower mood uh, that makes us want to kind of withdraw and to be socially risk averse and not put ourselves out there in the same way. And it's kind of just a cruel byproduct of this that it results in this really crippling mood that that makes so many people feel terrible uh, that we know as depression. Um, now, this is based on partly that sociometer theory. It's also partly based on uh, things like cognitive therapy and positive psychology, where we find that, uh, one, people who are very happy are bringing out their virtues every day. Uh, you know, prescribing people to exercise one of their virtues in a new way often greatly enhances well-being. But we also find that patients who are highly depressed have a very negative view for one reason or another of their own virtues. They very often believe they are incompetent, in unlovable, worthless, right, terrible things. Uh, but this is genuinely what they believe. And as a result, uh, they end up in this really negative mood spiral. Um, and I'm also looking at things like neuroscience, where we see that the default mode network, uh, the part of our brain that is active pretty much any time we're not engaged in another activity, uh, it's highly linked to the self and to self-reflection, self-evaluation, right? Basically, it suggests our brains were wired to, by default, think about ourselves and our, our self-esteem and our social status and our approvability, Um and, and only stop thinking about that when we have some specific activity to do outside of it. And we also see that things like meditation and psychedelics uh, change or quiet activity in the default mode network uh, and also are reported to decrease self-oriented thinking. And so all of this and, and you know even more than this, but basically it, it adds up to this uh, view that there's a mechanism in our brain that's constantly evaluating us and sort of rewarding us in our mood based on the virtue that it finds in our behaviors. So that is why depression is essentially an identity failure, as you call it, because as you're saying, if I'm hearing correctly, 
the reason that we have no energy and it feels like everything sounds terrible to do when we're going through that depression, it's our internal way of kind of saving ourselves from embarrassing ourselves in the social circles. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what I think the origin is. Now, that doesn't mean that that's a normative in the sense that like we should obsess over our social status because that's how our brains are wired. I'm much more into finding a way to hack the system that evolution built into us uh, to our own advantage. And so I think the best way to do that is not to, you know, constantly obsess over someone else's approval of you, but to focus on that identity, focus on your character and those virtues uh, so that you can directly send that signal to your brain that you are an admirable person doing admirable things on a regular basis and boost your mood accordingly. Um, I absolutely think it's a, a matter of identity failure. I think uh, one piece of evidence of this is that uh, depression and low self-esteem pretty much invariably go together. There aren't a lot of depressed people who have just a, a fantastic view of themselves. You pretty much never see that uh, and vice versa. And so, um, you know, what we find is that there is more support for the idea that the low self-esteem typically comes first uh, then vice versa. A lot of people have argued that depression leads to low self-esteem and negative self-thoughts. I think there's more support for the opposite and that low self-esteem is that fuel gauge and depression is the low fuel light that comes on at the bottom and lets you know there's a problem here, right? You need to work on this or at least, you know, get out of the social space, stay home until you have worked it out. At least that's what our brain is kind of trying to do. Um, and, uh, you know, another thing I wanted to get across, I think, I, I think I lost that chain of thought, but I think it'll come back in a minute. <laughs> that all makes perfect sense for my experience too. I've always had almost been confused about my own. <laughs> I used to be confused about my own self-esteem because I grew up really believing that I could be anything. I always felt intelligent. I felt like I, I got a lot of positive reflection back. I got a lot of negative too, but something maybe it was my parents did a great job. I was an only child, something about that. I just always felt like I could do anything. But during my times of depression, it wasn't necessarily that I was like, oh, I'm worthless. I'm not smart, whatever it was. During that time, my self-belief was I had all this potential and I wasted it. I felt like I broke my brain mm. through, I ended up having a, a very severe eating disorder. I partied a lot. I, I, And so I felt like I ruined the potential. And so I'm only sharing this because I think a lot of people don't recognize when they have low self-esteem or, or this uh, a negative identity within themselves because they're like, well, I don't, I don't really resonate with the, oh, I'm worthless, I blah, blah, blah. But sometimes these things can come out in mm. a more complex way where it's like, yeah, you did, you were used to believing in yourself. What is it? Do you really believe in yourself right now? Like, what are you really saying to yourself? What are the nuances of that self-talk? Because it could still just be self-esteem showing up in a way that you weren't really told low self-esteem looked like. And so I'm curious if you're mm -hmm. ident if people are identifying with if any 
any version of this spectrum of deep depression to just getting down on yourself and talking yourself out of the things that you really envision in your dream life, how do we practice cognitive restructuring to identify and correct the false beliefs of depression or really just not living into your higher potential? Yeah, yeah. So a few things there. I think I think uh, it's a very good point that really only the severely depressed people actually believe they are worthless, right? If you are just mildly, moderately depressed, um, typically you can see through those thoughts a little bit, even if you are sort of picking up on them, you're you're a little bit skeptical of them still. You haven't fully accepted that. Um, and it can be a little more complicated. When I had my kind of year of of dipping down into depression, I didn't think I was worthless. Uh, I didn't think I was utterly incompetent or unlovable, but I did have a lot of more nuanced sort of uh, beliefs about myself that I think I've uh, been able to correct over the the years since. And I, I tend to say that there's really two reasons uh, why your brain would be getting this signal that you don't have these virtues, right? One is that you, uh, you, you've got these distorted beliefs, this distorted view of yourself, however it developed. Um, you just aren't seeing these virtues that you're bringing out, even though everyone else around you can. Uh, and the other reason is that you actually aren't bringing out these virtues. You still have them. They're still in there, right? You haven't, you know, permanently ruined your potential no matter what, but um, you, you have uh, allowed them to creep out of your behavior and your lifestyle. And so for that first problem, you aren't seeing the virtues that you're bringing out. We need what, what you just referred to cognitive restructuring. Um, and this is basically a process of logging your thoughts, logging your moods, and identifying which thoughts are going along with those moods. So if you find yourself in a really negative, painful mood spiral, ask yourself, what were those thoughts, right? What was I thinking right before that? Or what is the belief that that causes that negative emotion? Uh, you want to build up a list of these thoughts and the moods that they tend to bring on, if you can. Now, it's important to note, um, particularly given your focus on mindfulness and all that, that a lot of people are not very good at identifying their thoughts and their moods. And they're like, I don't I don't really know what's going on in there. And that's when uh, enhancing your metacognitive awareness and, you know, meditating, practicing mindfulness can be really a really useful sort of prerequisite step to all this. Um, but once you have identified those uh, moods and the thoughts that are causing them. Uh, there's a process of identifying distorted beliefs and correcting them with more balanced alternatives. Uh, and there are a lot of good books that go deeply into this. Uh, I built a program that goes deeply into it called The Flourishing Function, uh, Feeling Good, Mind Over Mood. These are great books on the topics. But, you know, there's a list of 10 most common distortions uh, that sort of bias our view of ourselves and if you learn to spot them, you're just one step away from correcting them and saying, no, this this black and white thinking telling me that, uh, you know, I never do anything right because I got a C on my exam is clearly distorted because you got two A's before that or, you know, whatever it is, uh, we we have these tendencies that you can work out and, and sort of uh, break the habit of in your brain, but you have to identify them first. And that's why logging is the first step to all that. Now, the other exercise, and this is what you'd focus on more, 
if you really aren't doing much, if you really aren't in a life where you're able to bring out those strengths. And as a result, you know, maybe you're you're really depressed and you're just staying home in bed, streaming shows, uh, not even, you know, able to get up and take a shower some days. Uh, what you would want to do is behavioral activation. And this is a process where you create an activity schedule where you basically say what what is important is that every day I'm doing these things. Uh, and early on, it may be getting out of bed, you know, cleaning your room, taking a shower, and that's it. If you're really low on the depression scale, if you're higher up, uh, you can, you know, add taking a walk, reading a book, calling a friend, right? And and ultimately, this same way of thinking scales all the way up to, you know, you are really happy, but you want to get even higher on this scale. But essentially, what's important is that you are assigning yourself daily activities that bring out just a little bit more of those virtues that you pride yourself on, always going incrementally instead of making this huge ambitious leap that you're probably not going to be able to pull off. And once you are able to sustain those activities, climb a little bit higher, add a little bit more challenging activities that bring out a little more of your virtues until you've gradually gotten to a point where you are feeling much better and like you are bringing out those strengths every day. I did that exercise of logging when I first started Mind Love. And again, all of these things were, when I got to that point, I had already read so many books on finding purpose, finding what you, are you really is the thing for you. But I just thought like, oh, I'm reading the book. I'll skip the exercise in the back. Like I don't, like I'm, I'm thinking about it, so I must be applying it. But it was, things really changed when I actually got intentional and did the things brought carried a notebook around and actually started to log down whenever something that seemed to be a limiting belief came up. And it was odd because when I did it, things came up that I, of course, knew. And so I remember thinking in the very beginning, like, see, I'm wasting my time. I already knew these things. But then sneaky things came in. I was like, oh, I didn't even really realize that I was I was identifying with my ADD so much that I had a self-belief that I couldn't actually complete anything. Or when I, I did this again, when I was uh, about a year after I really started understanding what it meant to be an empath. And I realized that I was leaning on that identity label as kind of an escape to be distracted, to be like, well, of course, of course, I'm going to be pulled in by everything happening in the world because I'm an empath and I feel it all. And and I was like, wait, if I'm going to move into my highest version of myself, I can't be swayed by everything. I can take note of it. I can let it inform my next decision, but I can't be breaking down. So all of these things gave me insight into a part of my story that I didn't actually see, but I had to do that logging exercise. And on the second part of what you said about really applying it, one thing that's been really helpful for me is taking these virtues and and also listing out the main areas of my life, like business, friendships, family, maybe it's money, maybe it's uh, activity. Like what are the what are your main compartments of your life? And you might be living into a virtue in business and wealth, but are you lacking it in an area with like maybe friendships? And so I realized this with expression where 
that's one of my values. And, and what I mean by expression is it's really like the fullest expression of myself, mind, body, soul. It's why I like to sing songs that use the full spectrum of my vocal range or really expansive yoga poses. I always feel so vibrant and it's, but that also comes with like connection with people. I want to be able to have those deep conversations. And I, as much as I love living in my little mountain town, it, I don't have the same kinds of friendships as I did in LA where everyone was going to ecstatic dance things and yoga studios and whatever. And so now I make sure to call one of my best friends that lives in Austin and have these deep conversations once every couple of weeks because without that, it just felt like something was missing. And so that's how I kind of make sure that I'm getting it in all the areas of life because yes, I might be living to one into one virtue in one area, but if it's lacking in another, I feel that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. A lot there. So, um, you know, first thing you're saying, yes, you absolutely have to actually do the work. I think book books are great for instilling mindsets, but even people who read my books, I tell them like, this isn't gonna change you unless you do the work. And that's why I've created programs around this stuff. I mean, basically all this, all this stuff we're talking about, I created a 30 day program with an actual, like I call it a flourishing log uh, where you have all these tables and fields set up that you can log and actually make sure you're doing all these exercises that you need to do with the, you know, the cognitive restructuring, um, examining your, you know, your self-limiting beliefs and labels. And also um, I'll get to the, you know, what you're talking about in terms of the the domains in your life, the friendship and, and work and all that. But, um, you know, I also relate to the kind of identity belief label thing because uh you know i talk about in this book how i basically diagnosed myself with autism during this period and that's that was another thing contributing to my you know negative self-esteem and and identity failure at that time is um you know i had sort of bought in a little too much to this idea that that autism is this deficiency it's a developmental disorder uh when the more i studied it the more i found that it came with a unique set of strengths. And uh, while I do think I fit this sort of neurotype, I think it's both the reason for some of my weaknesses and my greatest strengths. And so it's not uh, not something to be ashamed of or, or too limited by. It's something to, if anything, be proud of. Um, regarding the kind of the domains, I call them virtue domains, but they're the areas of your life that serve as you know, vessels for you to bring out these strengths. Um, you wouldn't want to just have all your eggs in one basket. You don't want your whole identity to be just in your work or just in your relationships. Um, I tend to break it down into work and relationships and community, but I also think it can be different for everyone. Some people will have uh, a club they're a part of that allows them to bring out one set of their strengths and another, uh, you know, a workplace that they bring another out through. And so, um, I think it is first and foremost important to look at your work, your relationships, and your communities so that you do have that place to bring out certain strengths that may not have an, an outlet otherwise is huge. And really just, you know, designing your life based on crafting these domains and saying, what move can I make in my work? How can I change my relationships? How can I do this so that I will be able to bring out these strengths that just are are under the surface and they aren't able to come out yet? Well, thank you so much for the just the time and research and the knowledge that you've brought together 
to bring this information to us. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where's the best place for them to connect? Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation too. Thanks for having me. And um, the the best place to go is, depending on when this airs, uh, the the new book should be available for pre-order in the next few weeks from now. So um, you you will be able to find Become Who You Are uh, at any of the major you know online outlets. Um, but you also, uh, I, the best thing I would recommend is that you go to designingthemind.org slash psychotecture. I'm sure you can add that to the show notes for people. Uh, if you join the email list there, I will send you a couple of free books. The Book of Self-Mastery, which is a sort of a compilation of quotes with commentary. Uh, and then the Psychotext Toolkit, which is an introduction to some of the core ideas and in my work. And so I'll send you those. You'll know when the book is out, if it isn't already the new one, and, and uh, you'll get a bunch of other goodies in the, in the weekly email as well. So um, that's the place to go. All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 330. And your challenge for this week is to do the work. I always share the story about how I had read so many self-development books, finding your purpose books, all the things, and wondered why I still felt lost and confused and eventually almost a little jaded because I was like, none of this stuff works. And then I had to be real with myself. Maybe it wasn't working because I wasn't doing the actual work. I was skipping all the actual exercises. I was thinking that if I just read enough, the idea would come to me versus drilling down and getting specific, journaling things like what are my favorite things to do? What has gone right or wrong in past jobs? What did I like about each one? Finding my core values, all the things. The good news is I have mini courses on almost all of these topics in the Mind Love membership at mindlove.com slash membership. And the price just went down significantly to get access to all that. So find that at mindlove.com slash membership. But your freest way to do all of this is to just start journaling. Come up with your own prompts. Start analyzing those. Get really specific about what you want and see what comes up for you. I know this can take a little bit more of that self-starter mentality versus just having someone guide you through it. So if you need some extra help, reach out to me on Instagram and let me know what you're working on and I will point you to the right resource. That's mindlovemelissa on Instagram. And I would also love for you to meet me there because I am launching something incredible and you're only going to see it right now if you are on Instagram. So go follow me at mindlovemelissa. Don't forget, you can find all of my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com slash sponsors. And if you love this episode, consider sharing it. Take a screenshot, tag Mind Love Melissa and Mind Love Podcast, and let me know what else you would like to hear on the show. I'm always taking suggestions, and so I would love to know what you are specifically working on so I could find the perfect guest to speak to about it. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into Your Higher Frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.